So we're going to jump in here. We were reminded a couple of, uh, of a couple of things last Sunday. One of the things we were reminded of last Sunday is nothing surprises Jesus. That's been a continuing theme throughout all of our messages, really. Because <clears throat> I think sometimes we do not hear that enough. We assume that Jesus reacts to things, and he never reacts to things. He is proactive in all things. So we, we learned that Jesus had always known that the Garden of Gethsemane was where he would be arrested, that it would happen that night and at that hour with those people present. Judas would be leading the mob. He knew that. <clears throat> and he would betray him in the most hurtful way possible. And that's exactly what he did. He betrayed him with the kiss of a friend. Second thing we learned and we reminded of, Jesus takes control. Jesus is always in control as far as what the big picture is. Sometimes he relinquished control, if you can say it that way, to the situation. But either way, however you want to look at it, at this particular point in the garden, when Judas led the mob of about 800 people <clears throat> to Jesus, at, at one point Jesus said, I am taking control of the situation. We, and we saw that. And we learned last week that uh, he did this for three reasons. To protect his apostles, to protect his mission, and to fulfill prophecy. Third thing we learned was the purpose of the cross. And he pointed that out to us in John 18.1 when he says this. Put your sword into its sheath. He was talking to Simon Peter. <clears throat> Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Meaning the crucifixion. He says, I do not need protection. He said this, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will uh, send at once more than 12 legions of angels? That would have been more than 72,000 angels that were at Christ's disposal. <clears throat> we also learned in one particular situation, a single angel slaughtered 186,000. So 72,000, that comes up to 13 billion, 200 million, that uh, He was protected by these angels. They were waiting on his call. never came. Earlier we learned that a... Um, um, I'm sorry. Then this brings us to our scriptures for this morning. We are jumping quickly this morning. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. This is on your scripture sheet. If you did not get a scripture sheet, uh, you can maybe raise your hand <clears throat> and someone will get one to you. Uh, we love for you to use your Bibles, but we recognize that sometimes people don't have Bibles when they come here. So uh, we're, we give you these scripture sheets. Luke 22, beginning with verse 54, says this. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. <clears throat> then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, <clears throat> You are also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, meaning Peter, went out and wept bitterly. So our story this morning is simultaneously miraculous and devastating 
and victorious and disastrous. And if you allow this story to draw you in, you might find yourself on the verge of tears as God begins to reveal more and more the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So let's begin with Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So we've learned that if we really want the full story of any particular event, we need to look at all four Gospels. And that's what we're going to, to do again today. We're going to try to establish some kind of a chronological timeline when all of these things began to happen. <clears throat> John 18.12 says this, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So we learn that they not only seized him, but they bound him. And then we learn in Mark 14.50, when they did that, the apostles all left him and fled. So if you're getting the picture, Judas betrays Jesus, Judas moves back with the 800 or so. Remember, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And they all fell down. So we were walking through that. And after the second time, he asked, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I've told you I am he. And if it's me you're after, leave my apostles alone. So then they went forward. And they seized Jesus, and we find out that they also bound Jesus. And then we found out it was at that point that the apostles, they said they all left him and fled. And we know that the scattering of the disciples is prophesied in Zechariah. We've read it twice in two other sermons. So at the risk of overemphasizing the obvious, Jesus permitted them to seize him and bind him, knowing that he would be deserted by the eleven. He had already been deserted by the one. He would face his accusers alone. And from this moment forward, things will happen very, very quickly. And there will be a flurry of activity behind the scenes. And some of the things that are very obvious. John gives us the following account. So I try to do these in points on the back of your scripture sheet. Not a lot of room for notes because there's just a whole lot of information. And there's only a couple of ways that we could follow through on a chronological order. We could walk through when Jesus did things, when Simon did things, when the religious elites did things. But I found that perhaps the most effective way was understanding the laws that were broken and when those laws were broken. So we look at six laws here. These were Jewish laws that were broken. If you look this up through Google, you can find as many as 20 or 25 other laws that were broken, according to even the Romans. So what we're going to try to do this morning is we're going to try to put these things in chronological order. So the arrest, removal, and delivery of Jesus, they led him to Annas, and he was the, uh, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. This was early Friday morning. Some people say right after midnight. Other people say around 2 o'clock. Uh, some people have it divided into from 2 to 4 and from 4 to 6 before he actually began to carry the cross. Either way, it's Friday. It's good, what we call Good Friday. So they led him to Annas, <clears throat> for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, meaning Caiaphas was the high priest that year. We have heard this name before, by the way. John eighteen fourteen. it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. May I refresh your memory a little bit concerning this? 
Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. There were a multitude of people that witnessed that miracle. And we read in John eleven forty five through 53 that the Jews began to have a problem with this. He says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, meaning the raising of Lazarus, believed in him. That's all it took. It was an amazing thing. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So who do we think that some of these were? Who would go witness a miracle of someone being raised from the dead and see the joy and the celebration in this man being brought brought back to life and their instinct was to go tell the leadership? I think they were spies. I think they were spies that the the leadership had put in the midst of, of the multitude. So the chief priests, meaning Caiaphas and Annas, which is John 11.47, and the Pharisees gathered the council, meaning the Sanhedrin, and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Jesus and his apostles arrive. They raise Lazarus from the dead. Most people are rejoicing. Some people go to the Jews. They say, We have an issue here. And now they're getting together for an emergency cabinet meeting. says we have a problem because some people are believing because of this. And why were they so panicked about this? Well, we find out in the next verse of John, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and do what? Take away both our palace and our nation. They were afraid of what they would lose. If people started to believe in Jesus. And by the way, isn't that true on a personal level? Can I just say that to you? One of the things that kept me from receiving Jesus for so long is I was afraid of what I would lose. Am I the only one? Yeah. Because you can't imagine what you gain. Right? I would say most people who don't receive Jesus, if Jesus has been presented to them, especially time and time and time again, and they don't receive, they are afraid of what they will have to give up. That was the leadership here. We're afraid they're going to take away both our palace and our nation. So Jesus was a threat. To what was he a threat? The Romans will come and take away our palace and our nation. Now this is where Caiaphas steps in. He says... It says in John eighteen forty nine. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. How condescending. He's the high priest. Annas is his father-in-law. Annas passed it on to Caiaphas. And I had to go through some Roman formalities. You know nothing at all. It just reeks of condensation and arrogance. Then he goes on to say, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Well, unbeknownst to Caiaphas, he was playing into God's hands and furthering God's plan. John eleven fifty one says, He, Caiaphas, did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, of the, uh, into one of the children of God, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, meaning us. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. The message says it this way. 
He didn't say this of his own accord, but as chief priest that year, he unwittingly prophesied that Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation. So we have the arrest, the removal, and the delivery of Jesus. Now we move on to the trials. Now this is an amazing story. We were looking at three or four specific things. So we're going to look at this. The Jewish laws that were broken, who was involved, and how they were involved. So letter A, Jesus before Annas. Broken law number one. Trials were not to be held secretly at night, but publicly during the day. When did they seize him? After midnight. So Jesus is involved in this. Simon Peter is involved in this. Annas is involved in this. And the religious elites are involved in this. We know according to Matthew twenty six fifty seven, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. But according to John eighteen thirteen, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So which is true? By the way, biblical critics will say, which one was it? You can't trust the Bible. One says he was led to Caiaphas. The other said he was led to Annas. Well, they're both true because they lived in the same compound. And they were leading him to Caiaphas. And conventional wisdom says Annas interfered. And there's a reason for that. Caiaphas was technically the high priest that year, and Annas was the revered and seasoned high priest with all of the religious and political connections. So Annas would have been recognized as a greater authority. And if, any, if, we, if anybody's ever seen a Star Wars movie, anybody ever seen one Star Wars movie? Okay, there's, there's two characters, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and there's Luke Skywalker. Some of you are going, this is a waste of time. Maybe. Annas was Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Caiaphas was Luke Skywalker. The great sage was Annas. And the one in training, or the one under him, was Caiaphas. They lived in a family compound with a courtyard. By the way, this was a huge, magnificent compound. There are some artists' rendering of what this might have looked like. It was several stories. Historians believe that this palace or compound was built behind the main street. They had security in place. And their compound was under the protection of the temple guards. So picture main street, so to speak. And I'm sure this isn't absolutely correct. And a lot of things on main street. And then there's this, between this building and this building, there's a corridor that goes back. And they built their compound behind these other things. So they had to go through a corridor, and then there was a gate there. So not just anyone could get in there. And it was guarded. It was guarded by the temple police. Why are guards necessary? Well, there's a really logical reason for this. They were despised. Annas and Caiaphas and the families were despised. Why? Because they did not make their money legally, off of the salaries of being a high priest. Annas was in charge of the temple, who 
then decided to rent out tables for the money changers and the trinkets and the sacrificial animals. And then who also said that unless what you brought equals this quality, what you brought is no good. You have to buy this. It was extortion. So the two high priests and their families were not well loved. It was not earned honestly. Now enter Simon Peter because Jesus has been taken there. So entry to the palace was gained through a narrow corridor and there was a gatekeeper present. John eighteen fifteen says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. But they all fled. So did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, the one that was with Simon Peter, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. It's important we get this picture. Who do you think the first people are going through the gate? The guards and Jesus. And Peter's following along. They say at a distance. And there's another disciple ahead of him that when he gets to the gate, they don't close it for that disciple. That disciple goes on through. Simon Peter gets there and he stops. And he's waiting. Simon followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Who was this other disciple? Well, most Bible scholars assign this to being John. And yet we really have no way of knowing. At least through the scriptures. There are others who believe it was Judas. I believe this is worth considering. Mark 14.50 tells us that the disciples scattered, and as far as we know, only Peter followed the crowd to the house of Annas. Tradition tells us it's John. Tradition also tells us John was a very young man, probably mid to late teens. One question would be, how would Annas have known John to the point that John could walk through the gate? If it were Judas, perhaps he walked in with those who were escorting Jesus. Why was Judas going into the compound? To get his silver. He wanted to be paid. Judas would have been known to Annas and perhaps to the gatekeeper as well. They had a brief but very powerful relationship. Perhaps this is why the disciples had the confidence to enter in with Jesus, that disciple. If this was Judas, there was no danger in doing this. He was the key man who made this whole thing possible. And it could explain why the disciples were not, why the disciples did not name this disciple. They would not have wanted to repeat his name. They would be shunning him. On the other hand, we have an eyewitness account of what Peter did within the courtyard coming from John. So either way, it does not affect the credibility of the gospel account. We are not disputing what is written in the Scriptures by by considering this because the Scriptures are silent in this area. But think through this. Wouldn't that be interesting? 
What we do know is that this is where Christ's prophecy concerning Peter's denial begins to unfold. Denial number one. John eighteen seventeen. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these man's disciples, are you? This man's disciples are you? He said, I am not. Now, we also know that this courtyard was large enough to have a fire and for people to be standing around the fire. John 18, 18. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. You know, the, the Bible paints a really accurate technicolor picture if we read slowly sometimes. It was cold. It was uncomfortable. Jesus is escorted from Gethsemane across the Kidron Valley, this time over a bridge that goes into the northeast gate. The Fort Antonia is there, named after Mark Antony by Herod. And they take him in through that gate. And then he's into the courtyard of Annas and Caiaphas. And the courtyard is large enough that there's a fire Peter stops at the gate. He sees the other disciple go through, and he stops at the gate. He had, he had no idea that he would be able to get through the gate. He was probably afraid to go through the gate. He may have been able to sneak in. And that same disciple comes out and says, go on in. And the gatekeeper says, go on in. So Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Enter Annas. During this time, Annas is interrogating Christ. Keep in mind that Jesus had cleared the temple twice during his ministry, and the last time he had cleared it was just a few days previous. To him now facing Annas, who makes his living and his luxurious luxurious living off of extorting the Jews when they come in for Passover. And now Jesus is facing Annas. And Annas hated Jesus. John eighteen nineteen says this, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. They were trying to accuse him of tyranny. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me What I said to them, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? What a group of bullying cowards these guys are. He's bound. He's blood-soaked. He had just sweat blood in the garden. And he walks across the bridge and he's in the the courtyard, taken into Annas. Annas asks him a question and Jesus offers truth and only truth. And the guard beside him strikes a man who is bound. May I remind you that there are 72,000 angels standing by? These guys have no idea, right? They think they are so powerful. They think they are so smart. They think they are doing something historical, and by the way, they are. Not the way they think they are. They think they are invincible. 
And there's 72,000 angels just waiting on the word. Jesus answered, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now here is Annas' solution to the problem. He's going to do his son-in-law a real favor. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So we know that the first thing we, we see, letter A, is Annas. Letter B is Jesus before Caiaphas. These are the laws that were broken as Caiaphas did what he did in the part he was to play. <clears throat> two witnesses were to come forward and agree on the charges. That would have been the, bro- the number two law broken. Third law broken would have been the accused was never to be required to speak. As a matter of fact, it was against the law in some areas for the witness to speak. Broken law number four, the accused individual was never to be required to have to incriminate himself in any way. Now we're going to walk through this and you'll see these. The players are Jesus, Simon Peter, Caiaphas, and the elites. Mark 14, verse 53 says this, And they led Jesus to the high priest, meaning Caiaphas, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. So Annas interfered. He said, I want to talk to him. This isn't biblical. I want to talk to him first. And he asks them these, these questions. He was struck by one of the guards, and Annas said, fine, just take him to Caiaphas. So who's waiting? Caiaphas is waiting. All the chiefs. So he sends him to Caiaphas, and who's waiting there? Chief priests, the elders, and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. We learned that also in Matthew. So the elites, the religious elites, what are they doing? They break law number two. Two witnesses were, uh, were to come forward and agree on the charges. This is what the, uh, uh, the, the leadership started doing. Mark fourteen fifty five. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony about Jesus to put him to death. They were busy trying to line up false witnesses. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another and um, not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. So here's the point. They could not even find two people to agree on one thing. And by the way, one of the commandments was broken with this, You shall not bear false witness. Exodus 20.16. So Caiaphas rolls, he's a hypocrite, and he exhibits mock rage. The third law broken, the accused was never to be required to speak. Mark 14.60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? 
What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Fourth law broken. The accused individual was never to be required to incriminate himself. Mark 14 says this. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus knew that if he confessed that, which was truth, by the way, it would be a death sentence. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Matthew confirms this in Matthew twenty six sixty four. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you, I urge you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now Caiaphas enters back in here, and it's really sickening. It's really sickening what he does. Matthew twenty six sixty five. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? We no longer need two witnesses to agree because now we have witnessed the fact that he has spoken blasphemy. And it goes on to say this, You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Now we see here that Caiaphas not only immediately passed judgment... But then the council, with his urging, sentenced him as well. The hypocrisy that is on display here makes me sick to my stomach. Caiaphas. Okay, so here's the thing. Caiaphas acted like he was offended at this. He wasn't offended. You know, to be offended by someone committing blasphemy, you have to love and respect God. Blasphemy does not offend those who do not care about God. Caiaphas did not care about God. So what makes me sick about this is he stands up with a little melodrama and he tears his robe, which was traditional, to say he has committed blasphemy. It's a stage play. And I think if the angels were capable of vomiting, all 72,000 of them would have vomited right then. The elites, they deny Christ a vote of freedom and they mock him. In a capital offense, a unanimous vote by the court would allow the accused to go free. Where did they try to exercise this? Barabbas. They didn't even bring this up. They're meeting at night. They have broken five Jewish laws. No vote was taken. How do we know this? Because verse 67 in Matthew 26 says, Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? The word Christ means anointed one. Prophesy to us, you anointed one, jeering and sneering. 
how disrespectful this was. Who punched you this time, you anointed one? If you're anointed, you should be able to tell us that. Who are the people? Who are these people acting this way? The Sanhedrin, <laughs> scribes, priests, attorneys. And lastly, we find ourselves back in the courtyard with Simon Peter. So while all of this is going on, we read this. Denial number two, John 18, 26 says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Denial number three, John 18, 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a real... Remember Malchus? Malchus was the guy that Simon Peter cut off his ear. Boy, just as luck would have it, right? Listen to this one. One of the servants high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Just that time... Peter is being brought out of Caiaphas' house. He's been struck. He's been spit upon. He's been pummeled. He's still bound. His face is swollen, bleeding. Maybe an eye even swollen shut. And he's walking past the fire. When Jesus says, I am not. Luke twenty two sixty one, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is, this is dramatic. Oh, Lord, that we would still love you enough to break down and weep when we fail you. I can think through that a little bit. Are we so familiar with the grace of God and the mercy of God that we no longer even have an emotion when we fail him? And maybe we fail him over and over and over again. And what we offer up is as we are walking to our car, Lord, please forgive me. And we get in our car and we leave. It's a formality. And I would say that even some don't even ask for the forgiveness. Some don't confess. They're believers. I can say this about Simon Peter. He did repent, and usually in tears. So are you Caiaphas this morning, mocking and taunting Jesus? Oh, we can't be Caiaphas. He was, he was, he, he was sickening. You know what he did? He mocked and taunted Christ. Are we the Caiaphas this morning? Are we some of the religious elites this morning? We're justified by our, by our religion and still condemned by our own heart. 
We've said this before, church can't save you. It, it can confuse you. Sometimes they're really good at confusing people. Church can't save you. Only Christ. Or are we Simon Peter this morning, quick to act and perhaps slow to pray? But repentant. Greatest question is, are you in need of Jesus this morning? It's the greatest question. Always is. Have you ever just wondered if you were really saved? You may, I mean, you may have said a prayer 35 years ago, maybe when you were five or seven or eight or something like that, and you've been in church and, you, you know, your lifestyle got cleaned up a little bit maybe, just enough to really give you confidence in you. I can make it another day. But, of course, we never really do make it another day. Because Jesus said the sins within us is not necessarily connected to what we do. So you may have been a believer for 30 years and occasionally you just think, you know, I don't know if I'm really saved. And there's all kinds of things that can make us ask that question. And it might be different for each of us. It might be alarmingly similar also. But here's what God asks of us if we want to become one of his children. This is what he asks. Recognize that you are a sinner by name. If you have not received Christ, you are a sinner. That doesn't mean that we don't sin. But that's who you are. That's your identity. And God is saying this, you need to change your identity. You don't need to change what you do so much, although, yes, but you have to change your identity. And the way you do that is you say, I'm a sinner. I no longer want to be a sinner. Therefore, Jesus says, then receive me. And then the question becomes, who are you receiving? Jesus says, there's only one of me, and I am the one and only Son of God. And the question might be, well, what do I have to surrender? And Jesus would say, everything. Everything you own, you need to surrender. Everything. And most of you will not do that. So here's salvation. God says, repent which means turn from your sin and receive. It's very simple. You would say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner because I've never received you. And I want to turn away from that sin. And I want to become one of your children. I want to become a disciple. I want to become a part of your family. Therefore, Jesus, I recognize you as the one and only Son of God, the one who was not born by merely a young girl, but was born of a virgin. And I believe, Lord, that you are the Son of God and you went to the cross 
And while you were hanging on that cross, you knew my name. And you were pursuing me even then. Before I was born, you were pursuing me. And I surrender to you. That is salvation. Amen. Well, we serve a wonderful and a beautiful God. And uh, we're just going to close. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. Thank you for pursuing me because I sure have not pursued you. Thank you for pursuing me. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray. Amen. Blessings. Hope to see you next week.